Break out your wireframes and heat up those Git repos. We're ready to tackle topics ranging from accessibility to front-end design, user experience, and beyond. You're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast with your hosts, Michael Feenan and Aaron Hill. Hey everybody, this is the Drunken UX Podcast. You're listening to episode number 90, where we're going to be talking about running tests with Cypress.io with the infamous Jessica Sachs. I am your host, Michael Feenan. I'm your other other host, Aaron. How you doing, Michael? Uh, warm, warmer. It's humid now. It's been raining for a week straight, and if you've never been to Kansas in late spring, when it gets rainy and warm, it is a <laughs> bad place. It is not nice. <laughs> We've had rain almost every day for the past week, which has been great because I haven't had to water my garden at all, but it is not warm. It's like maybe 60s here. It's nice, It's just, but it's not warm. Beautiful. Last week it was 46 here. Oh. Where, where are you at? Boston. Boston. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. If you are enjoying the Drunken UX podcast, I want to make sure that you know to go check out Designing for Good. Designing for Good is a grant program that is running uh, through July 26th, if my memory is correct on that. They're going to be giving away three $10,000 grants for a designer, a developer, a marketer to work with a local nonprofit. If you want to check that out, go to drunkenux.com slash design grants. It's drunkenux.com slash design grants. And you can get all the information on how to submit your 90-second video to maybe help out a nonprofit. You can also connect with us if you don't want to do about design grants. You can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram.com uh, and Facebook.com. But Twitter and Facebook are slash Drunken UX. And Instagram is Drunken UX Podcast. And also DrunkenUX.com slash Discord. I am easily swayed by uh, the alcohol in my life because... I am uh, poorly maintained in my, I don't know. Aaron, what are you drinking? <sighs> God. God. I have a, oh, it's sort of a screwdriver. It's like a fancy screwdriver. It's um, vodka and triple sec with orange juice. So like the triple sec kind of smooths off the, the vodka orange juice boundary. Oh, I, I thought you just were, you left the pulp in. No, no. Ew, gross. What? That's not gross. That's the best delicious. We can agree to disagree. I don't want the pulp. You guys can have it. I'll I'll mail you guys my pulp. I'm going to chew my drinks. (laughs) I'm going wacky this week. Uh, I am drinking a mojito. Um, My my wife got me a special bottle of mojito syrup at this uh, local business downtown, and I've been wanting to try it, so... Um, I have a giant bottle of rum. I built myself a little mix station next to me. Uh, so if you hear clinking, I apologize because I got to make them. Uh, not my, the cocktail world is not my normal dive, but that's where I'm going to be this week. And I know Jessica's joining us over there in Boston, and I discovered that uh, she apparently lives with a, a mixologist, basically, <laughs> and gets all the fancy treatment. Wow. Yeah, he's he's more than a mixologist. Um, he does. We do. Okay, so this is how extreme it is. We do a home-cooked Thanksgiving, but it's all duck because he doesn't like turkey, and he will do 12 courses for 25 people of gourmet duck-based thanksgiving foods it's insane anyway he also makes me margaritas so i'm i'm around martinis so i'm drinking a very dirty martini Um, there's not there's no duck in in the martini there's no there's no duck in the martini though i wouldn't be surprised if he would make a drink with duck fat (laughs) and it would actually be good 
Like it sounds <laughs> disgusting, but he would make it work. Little crispy duck skin on the rim, you know, just kind of hanging he, he there. He would do it. He would like make his own salt <laughs> out of it. He's he's bad shit. Folks, um. the voice you are hearing is that of Jessica Sachs. She is uh currently the architect of component test frameworks over at Cypress. She started out as a manual QA engineer over in iOS. Um, she went on then to do uh, soft, to be a software engineer at Intent. She's also the Vue Test Utils core maintainer and a Vue Mastery instructor. Welcome when you to say the show. Vue, you mean Vue dot js, right? Yes, Vue.js. Right. Okay. Uh, let's see. I want to start uh, on this with a, a really bland question, but I'm I'm just curious. Like, how how do you come from like? QA engineering, I mean, I, I shouldn't say that's a stupid question, right? How do you go from QA to testing? That's literally uh, like <laughs> stones adjacent to each other. But how did you land at Cyprus? What was like that journey to become somebody who's like passionate about writing test frameworks and, and getting into this? Yeah, yeah. So um, so I, I fell into testing. I was very lucky. I, I was a high school dropout and um, in a very small town in Northeast Florida. And my uh, my mom happened to know a CEO of a, of a small, small startup, 12 people. And um, basically one day, it was actually January 1st because I know that <laughs> it was technically a holiday. And I started there when I was 16 testing iPad apps. Um, and from there, I convinced my coworkers to teach me how to code, basically. Um, I got a really good education in manual QA testing for about three years um, and, and automated testing, though I wasn't able to put that into practice for a while. Um, at which point I was like, I'm done with QA. I want to be a developer. Um, and I you know, got to join Intent um, as QA, actually. And then they flattened everybody into engineering. So it was... They've flattened tech ops, they've flattened QA, they flattened data science. And so everybody became a software engineer at your various levels. And <laughs> that gave me the opportunity to like start coding, coding on features instead of on testing. That was that was like saga, you know, chapter one. Um, <laughs> chapter two was like I got really involved in the Vue community after like five years, six years um, of being a software engineer. And I started, you know, a year into programming Vue, um, I started getting into the community via Discord. So, like, Vue.js Discord is an amazing place to learn. Um, and then I started speaking publicly, at which point I got scouted. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, Amir, um, he was the, you know, head of DX at Cypress, was looking for somebody for component testing. And he was like, oh. Maybe the view, maybe the Vue.js uh, testing utils maintainer would be interested in uh, in building component testing for Vue for Cypress, and I yeah. was so jumped over there. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, so as we talk about this, so Cypress is a testing framework. This is something you can go check out at Cypress.io, um, and they uh, have built a a suite of tools that allows you to. Make sure your code does what it should do. But that is a really bland way of putting it because you're going to hear, if you start thinking about testing or looking into testing the stuff that you're building, you're going to find that there's a lot of words that get thrown around. Um, and particularly when it comes to testing, you're going to hear things like unit tests 
or component tests or functional tests, integration tests. Jess, when people are talking about these things, how, what's your sort of go-to definition for explaining the difference between all of these things conceptually? There are three, there are three, maybe four categories of testing that people usually do, right? You have your unit tests, components, and E2E tests. And the best way I can explain it is, um, is using a resource called the testing pyramid. So Mm. wherever you drop links, I'm sure you should, you should drop a link (laughs) to the testing pyramid. Um, but the way you can explain it is unit tests test the smallest bit of code. So like a function that ca- is called add, you know, it has one small little job and you can clearly test that. And if it breaks, you know exactly what's wrong, right? You're like, oh, the add function subtracted instead of added. That sounds like a problem. Right. Um, and as you climb up and up the testing pyramid um, towards the top, your tests become slower because they're testing more. And so you get more bang for your buck. So component tests would be the next layer up. You might also ha- call, you might also hear them called integration tests. Um, but as you climb up and up, your tests get slower, and which means you get more bang for your buck. You test more things with a single test. So your add function might turn into, let's say, a button and a text field that as you hit the button, you know, increment, might add some numbers to this text field. And so your component test would test, oh, am I rendering the result of add onto the page, right? And so you're starting to climb up from your add function all the way to the to the browser layer, right? Am I rendering it right? And at the tippy-tippy top, it's like, when I go to the homepage, there should be an add button. And when I click it, it should add everything correctly. And so you've climb to the top of the pyramid here, you're testing a ton of stuff. You're making sure your like homepage renders, right? All of these other concerns that your unit and component tests skipped over because they were not important to testing if the add function worked correctly right. or if it would render at all. So that's, that's a very TLDR on the, uh, <laughs> the testing pyramid. <laughs> yeah. And there are tools for all of these things. Um, and, so like if we're thinking, let's talk unit testing, right? Unit testing, there's a framework called Jest that's, uh, that is pretty widely used that is designed mm-hmm. to do exactly what you described. It goes in and you give it the function and it makes sure that I'm going to call this function with one and one and I should get back two. And if I don't get back two, then there's, something is not right with what's happening here. Mm-hmm. And you feed it hundreds, maybe even thousands of these little guy tests. Mm-hmm. Um Unit testing in my, in my mind is like one of those, like it's easy to miss the forest for the trees kind of thing. Like you can make sure every tree is there, but mm. making sure every tree together operates right gets you into like the integration level testing. That was where I found Cypress probably two years ago. It was billed as this great integration test suite. Mm-hmm. Then we were using stuff at work like Selenium for our end-to-end tests and our functional <laughs> testing. And so, and that's all done in Ruby. It's all scripted out and it does all that, you know, render checking and we're going to land on the page, click the login button, fill in login, go here, do this, do that. And it checks that whole literally end to end. When I found Cypress, it was integration testing. Now I feel (laughs) like, especially after I've used it a little bit more, I feel very much like it 
can really do all of these things. When I discovered that it can take screenshots and videos uh, of the things it's running, like my world just kind of opened up. The sun rose, birds flew across the sky. It was literally the Lion King for me. Oh my god! Yeah, every everything the browser touches could be yours. Yeah, so so, uh, so Cypress is pretty cool. Um, it was tailor made for end to end tests, and so everything else is easier to do, right? Um, its power is in the fact that it can test things that are rendered in the browser. So it can load your whole web page on production. You don't even have to host it locally, right? If you're a QA engineer for Google.com and you want to test that Google works, you can load Google's iframe and make sure the search box works as expected, right? That's the highest level of the end-to-end tests, literally testing in, st- in staging or production. But Cypress being that it just runs code in the browser, can actually test all the way down, right? And so if you have some function on a module that intends to use um, a browser API, right? Like, I don't know, uh, cookies, right? Document.cookie. Right. Um, Cypress is one of the only places that can test that. You know, Jest actually, Jest for all of its uh, speed, uh, is lacking a browser environment. So anything that you Mm. do that's, um, there's APIs for animation, like request animation frame, anything where you're navigating a page to and from just can't really help you easily. And, uh, and Cypress can. So Cypress is really the browser runtime for testing anything browser-based. Um, so it's built for end-to-end in the, in the beginning, but it kind of did the hard thing at first, right? End-to-end is the really hard problem, right. and everything else is, is pretty easy. <laughs> it, it's, it's funny that you mentioned the cookie thing, because that actually factored into one of the test suites that I wrote with Cypress was we had some functionality that was enabled or disabled by a cookie that was set. Yeah. And so I went in and I was looking at it and I'm like, well, I can just pull the cookie. Like it's JavaScript. I can have that cookie <laughs> and know what it says. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it feels really natural. So when I, when I explain component testing, right, which is the easier version of end to end testing, it's more tailored towards front end developers. Um, that work in React, Vue, Angular. Um, when I explain component testing to people, it's like you get to have all the tools you're used to in the browser. Like you can just debug your tests like you do your actual code. And that's such an aha moment because Jest requires all these node-specific mm-hmm. um, utilities to, to debug and write your tests. And it's a pain in the ass, right? You have to learn this entire new uh, tool set right? Just to get the same thing you already know how to do in the browser, right? You know how to debug your code when it breaks in the browser. And right. um, that's what I love about Cypress is it's just your normal workflow. So let's uh, let's talk about the why behind this, the philosophical piece, because I, I can already hear folks and I have been that folk because I work in a, you know, for a public company where, you know, you're given X amount of time to do something, And one of the big challenges, of course, always is, well, I have to do the work. And now you're telling me I have to do work to check the work. So you're (laughs) you're doubling the amount of effort I have to put into this. So, yeah, like why why should I run tests if I can just look at it and know it's good? I'll let Jess provide a longer answer to this, but I just want to interject and say I love writing tests and I love having test coverage. And I consider it as just part of the cost of doing business as a coder. So 
but Jess, you go ahead and yeah. You, yeah. Oh, I everybody gets shocked when I when I say this, but I hate writing tests. I hate writing tests so much. Um, but it's it's necessary, right? And I I'm not zealous about test driven development, which is a very common um, workflow that you'll hear about uh, if you if you Google for how to do testing. But I really don't like testing, and so I wanna I wanna get most of it out of the way very quickly, and I don't want it to be a pain. Right. That's my those are my motivations is I want it to be easy and I don't want to mess with it very much. Um, and so you have to do it because you need to not break things. Right. You need to make sure that your code will ship to production and you won't get a call at 530 p.m. on Friday <laughs> saying, hey, by the way, you broke the checkout button. Like that's bad. Yeah. You can never break the checkout button. Don't be in the way of your company and money. Um <laughs> And that's, that's actually what Cypress is for, is literally those most important paths of like people can sign up for your service and log in and pay you money by adding products to the cart. Like the most important stuff should always be covered. Um, if somebody's starting a brand new project, um, as soon as it starts getting users, you need to write an end-to-end -end test. You can forgo unit and component tests so long as you know your checkout flow works, <laughs> basically. <laughs> The, you know, the, the thing I think about with this is it, when, you, when you are skipping the, the testing early on and thinking that you are saving time, you really aren't. You're robbing Peter to pay Paul is the phrase I like throwing out there. because Or the other one we use at work a lot is slow down to speed up. Because <laughs> while I can write a piece of code and look at it on my screen and say, oh, yep, that worked. That's because I looked at it in one single state. I didn't mm -hmm. test what would happen if I passed numbers to that function or passed mm -hmm. an object to that function. I didn't check what would happen if I passed something to it that was out of bounds or anything like that. And yeah. one of the important parts of testing is writing the negative cases. So what you end up with is, yes, I could have looked at it and said, yes, it did exactly what I needed it to do when I used it the way it was meant to be used. But when you start thinking about the fact that, no, I really should be testing seven, eight, nine, ten different cases mm -hmm. for something that includes all of these ways that could break it or should break it, over time, trying to do that manually every time you touch that and fix a typo or, or add a comment, you save yourself huge amounts of time over the lifespan of that code by letting the testing automate that and just let it run and tell you it's okay and at least then you've got some of that coverage. And it's not protecting you from unknown unknowns, which is like mm -hmm. the stuff you don't know you don't know. But it gets you close to that at least. Um, you're protecting yourself from the known unknowns at that point. The, yeah. the example that really clicked for me with keeping a testing framework was I was on a, working on a Rails app. And um, I was just learning how to write tests. And they were a real pain in the ass. And I didn't like writing them. And I didn't understand why I had to do this extra work. Um, and then one day I was making, adding a new feature and a change that I made broke something on a totally different part of the app because they happened to use like the same shared library area. And mm -hmm. I didn't know that it was over there, but I wouldn't have known about that had it not been for the tests. And I, I think the thing to remember with testing is that your app is going to grow and get larger. And it's kind of ridiculous to think that you or maybe you can because you've been with it the whole time, but new people may mm -hmm. not know about that. And so having the test there really helps to kind of be the, as like a safety net for when you're making changes and adding features and things. 
Yeah, I think when you when you start new code and it's it's more than a hack, right? If you're doing production level code that will will go out into the wild, you should always be writing tests alongside it. Um, I won't. I'm not zealous about if you do TDD versus if you do them before your pull requests. I think for mm-hmm. new people, it can be helpful to do TDD first. You should at least know how to do it mm-hmm. because sometimes you need that framework when you're working through a particularly tricky. Be- Pit, Could you give like a 30-second explanation of TDD? Yeah. So test-driven test development is uh, also known as the red-green refactor loop in that you should define what behavior you're looking to get. So um, looking at, let's say, an add function, you expect to pass one and one into the function add and that should return you the integer two, right? So that's the most basic example. But if you're going to look at a more complex thing, right? Let's say you have a form, which is I'm going to fill out the form. So I'm going to get the input fields. I'm going to type into them and I'm going to hit submit. And it should, you know, if I do it wrong, if I'm testing the negative case of invalid email, (laughs) it should spit out an error at me. And so that's kind of how I would TDD a, a visual thing, which is actually something people really struggle with, is how to think about um, things that are more complex than add. Um, I think the, the thing yeah. that's maybe counterintuitive about TDD is that you're writing, before you write any actual code, you're writing a failing test first Yeah, that will pass when you have the code written correctly. Um, and that's really, really awkward until <laughs> so you yeah. get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> the uh the sort of corollary piece of that is called bdd which is behavior driven yeah. development um i there there is technically what is it ex- acceptance testing driven development also i don't know anywhere that does that off the top A-T-D-D. of my head but yeah. i define bdd very differently <laughs> um i i have a huge code base that spans years before i even got there and they're Mm. Wasn't a lot of tests because there wasn't even a build process or anything in place when I came in. Of course, this was before build process were even hardly a thing. Um, but I define BDD a little different. Uh, my BDD is bug driven development. And so <laughs> the way. <laughs> Hold on. No, no, no. This, yeah. this is a real thing. This is this is actually oh, a strategy is. I'm using. I know I, what you mean exactly. <laughs> because we have so much code that doesn't have tests built for it. The way I am sort of backdoor engineering testing into our development methodology is when those bugs come in, we write the test specifically for that bug. And Mm -hmm. so it's kind of test-driven development. It is that sort of, let's do the red-green, we're going to write that breaking test, but we're using the occurrence of bugs as that opportunity to say, okay, let's, we have to stop. We have to address this bug and define it so that we make sure we don't bring it back. (laughs) It's a really good entry point. It's like the perfect time to do it too because you you can always – you don't even have to fight for why you're spending the time because your product Mm -hmm. manager or tech lead has just suffered why that bug is a big Mm -hmm. deal. So you don't even have to explain it, right? You're just like, oh, this is issue number whatever that just – broke these things and it was a pain in the ass in these ways. Um, My – in Cypress, so Cypress itself, right, is an open source project, and we have one of the beefiest test suites that I have ever seen. <laughs> and um, even when joining Cypress, I was like, this is excessive. Um, 
<laughs> but you have to think about it, right? Like what tests the test framework? Like we really have to be on point. Having bugs is really um, can be dangerous, right? People rely on us. It, it so, could be an actual PR problem for you in that case too. Because oh God, yeah. if people lose faith in the tool oh that is supposed God. to do the thing that it's good at. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, like, so, so literally right now we're, we're building an architect and component testing, which is like, it's essentially almost a rewrite of a lot of Cypress. Um, but the number one thing we're concerned about isn't how it looks, but the fact that it can always give you the correct answer, right? Like any flake, any misre- like misreported result is like a business killer, I would call them. It's like, it's pretty bad. Um, we don't really have them, thank God. Like Cypress is very good at making sure the things that are broken stay broken. Um, or are correctly reported as broken. But you were you were talking about bug-driven development. And I wanted to say that in Cypress in particular, we have many tests that are just called their issue number on GitHub. Like it'll <laughs> literally just say like hashtag issue number 11,000, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and then you can like, somebody will put the PR link in the comments at the top of the test. And you'll open it up on GitHub and be like, oh, okay. I see. I see. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of that's kind of clever, actually, because it it gives you a paper trail as to why is this thing here. Well, now we know that can be really useful. Yeah, yeah. I'll do that sometimes if I if I write a test just to kind of um, proof of concept that I fixed the bug. I'll just throw like a this is for issue number whatever, um, just as a reference and maybe providing a little bit of context because like especially yeah. if it's a bug you think could happen again. Uh, it's nice to know that, like, we're going to be notified if it comes up again. Yeah, yeah it, for, for particularly serious issues, it's a must. Like testing is testing is really like a sliding scale of importance, right? You you don't have infinite time, so you have to make sure you test the most important things at least, right? You mm-hmm. you can make your story, you know, you can you can take a day to implement the feature and a day to write the test, but if you're if you're going overboard, right? If you're testing all the things that could possibly break, it's uh that's where you that's where people get really confused, honestly. They're like, how much do I test? Hmm. Um but testing the most important bugs, testing the most important bugs is like a very good idea. <laughs> <laughs> the the thing it really helps you do is close your QA gap a little bit. And a lot of our listeners, you guys are working at places that don't have a dedicated QA engineer uh, or, or QA testers or things like that. And so finding a way, it will not replace, it, it does not replace QA, it definitely doesn't replace manual QA, but it can at least shorten the distance you have to go in those moments, especially if you can convince yourself that all of that stuff you can automate through those tests is working well, it can really mm-hmm. increase your confidence level in the other interactions and end-to-end stuff that you want to go in and manually check out. So, and it, it, if that is something you have to do because you don't have QA, this is where, again, that time efficiency stuff starts playing in that, yeah, I have to spend extra time writing these tests, but you are saving way, you know, exponentially more than that on the tail end every mm-hmm. time. Now you don't have to spend that time on your own remembering, did I test all the things? Did I test this? Did I do it this way? <laughs> That takes care of it's it's all it's kind of like documentation to an extent to that way too. Yeah. Testing is documentation. You were you were talking about BDD as bug driven development, but the other the other meaning of BDD, <laughs> the the classical meaning, quote unquote classical, um, is behavior driven development, right? And you should the way you can think of it is your test should look like English. 
Mm. Um, and so you'll often see tests written in the BDD style. Um, if you come from Ruby, you might be familiar with Capybara, mm-hmm. um, which yeah, is like – I use that all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it's um, – I honestly think that they're interchangeable. Sometimes you just want your tests to look like English because it makes more sense. Mm-hmm. But um, but as as documentation, right, you can read your specs and it would say like when the user clicks submit, it should throw an error if the email contains an emoji, right? Mm. Which I think is actually valid now. I think you can put emoji in your email, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, yeah, so your test would read like English. And then at at the end of it, um, there are reporters that do this at the end of it. You can generate like a list of requirements off of your test suite, off of your BDD test suite, which is, I've never seen it done well, but in theory you can do it. (laughs) (laughs) So I made a promise to folks at the start of this episode. This is going to be about run, how do you how do you run tests with Cypress. So let's, let's start thinking about that. Now I'm going to use a super basic example since we can't convey code over audio. Mm. Um, we'll do this real simple, what? but we'll 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 talk framework wise. I'm going to leave it to you, Aaron, to set up the Twitch channel where we'll do the the live coding examples for people. That's on <laughs> you. You get to find the time oh, in your calendar for that. That would be. That would be really fun. It would be very fun, but yeah. I, I okay. ain't carving out time for it right now. <laughs> First, let's start with what What do I need to know? I'm a developer. I'm a front end dev. I, mm. I agree. I want to try to make some tests for my website. I need to know JavaScript, I would presume. That feels like a safe bet in this case. Yeah, you, you, could, you could know JavaScript. I mean, to write your tests, you need to. You need to know a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um. You need to spend some time, obviously, learning the commands of uh, Cypress. And by the way, as I say this stuff, there are going to be a million links in the show notes to help you out. So if you want to know all the commands, there is going to be a link that will take you to all the commands in the documentation. But commands are just JavaScript functions. Like, there's nothing special about them. It's no different than if you pick up jQuery, right? Like, these are just the things that you have created to accomplish whatever it says it's trying to accomplish. Uh, it's a vocabulary. Think of it like a vocabulary that you have to spend time with. And you need to know what those are. It's same with if you were just learning vanilla JavaScript. These these are called um, domain-specific languages, or DSLs. Um, ah. RSpec, RSpec is one. That's why I know the term. <laughs> I, I think commands are easy. I think the one that might catch people a little offhand is the, this word assertion. Yeah. Um, because yeah. an assertion doesn't necessarily have a corollary in like vanilla JS or something like that. What what exactly is an assertion library in the context of a test suite? Yeah, so these are these are general concepts, by the way. These aren't specific to Cypress. Um, so the assertion library, its job is to let you um, act on what's called a subject and make sure that the subject behaves as expected. And it allows you to be specific about what your thing should do, what your subject should do. So there's, um, there's simple ones like expect one to be equal to one or expect one to be less than two. Those are some base ones that you might do with numbers um, or expect, you know, foobar to contain foo, right? To contain the string foo. 
Um, so those are those are your basic building blocks. And then Cypress gives you all those basic build, building blocks in its assertion framework. But it also packages together some DOM-based assertions. So when you're testing websites, you care about if elements are present or not. You care about if you can click on things. And Cypress, you know, gives you the basic building blocks. Um, and so that's that's packaged in, there's an assertion framework called Chai, right? Often mm. used with a test runner called Mocha. Mm. And so Chai is the, uh, the assertion framework that Cypress uses. Um, if you're familiar with Jest and Jest's assertions, Chai is just if you put dots instead of uh, instead of uh, camel case uh, for your expectations. So, like to be equal would be, you know, instead of instead of having dots between it, it would just be uh, just be camel case. Mm. But they're basically the same thing. They accomplish the same purpose. Assertions just make sure your things do what they're supposed to do. And and they help out with what you were describing earlier, right? This idea of making your tests feel like human readable descriptions yeah chai is really good about that in that you would say like okay yeah if i need this thing to equal one i'm literally going to say i expect this to you know to equal or equal or Mm -hmm. should have length gte so you're saying i the length of this thing should be greater than or equal to four yeah and it's just a function right should have a length parens like literal parens Mm -hmm. as a function four right as a number and that'll build your little uh your little expectation and that's what if you ever run a test framework in the terminal that's what prints out the little check mark that says yay it worked is uh when you do an expectation inside of a test it's like good job it passed so <laughs> when when you look at like a cypress test you're going to see like a hierarchy right you see these what it starts with describe and I think of that like as a category almost like this is going to describe my navigation test. And so I'm going to say describes navigational components. And then I'm going to say it, uh, it should have a, a number of nav items in it. So mm, that's the, mm. dis- that, that, that is the thing specifically we are testing. Mm. Now we've used a couple words and this is one area where I actually have remained slightly confused with, uh, with Cypress. Sometimes you say something should happen. Should is like a keyword. It's an action mm. uh, or, or it is a uh, command word. But then there's also the expect function. Yeah. And I don't necessarily yeah. know when to interchange these, but they, they are similar, right? They are both at their <laughs> core saying at the end of this statement, something has to be true or false. So when we think about how we get into this first test. Yeah. First and foremost, we assume you have a directory, right? We assume that you've got a folder that you're working out of. Maybe it's a Git repo, something like that. One the base requirement number one, right? I assume you need to probably have NPM. That's a fair assumption, probably. Uh, and I think, it, let me see if I can do this off the top of my head. It's NPM install dash G. Is it just Cypress or is it at Cypress? Uh, no, it's it's just Cypress. And you can Cypress. actually, you can do NPX if you feel like it. You can NPX Cypress and that'll just do the whole thing. Um, yeah, but NPMIG um, Cypress, that's the that's the <laughs> shorthand. There's some dashes in there and definitely some spaces. That, that will install everything into literally just the Cypress directory. 
Yeah. Here's the thing I want to make sure I mention on this because it's incredibly useful and it will change the way you approach this whole product. Make sure you go into the integration folder and in there, there's an examples folder. And that examples folder has like 25 files in it that have literal examples of all of the different kinds of testing you can do from really simple stuff to really complex stuff. And it is an incredible way to learn. I'm a big like learn by doing kind of guy and mm. knowing like, hey, I need I want to try this kind of thing and be like, oh, I can just go see how they did it. Yeah. Take a look at that code, tweak some stuff, change some things around, change some different stuff together. But I can see in practice how a lot of those things work. That yeah. folder is invaluable. Um, so make sure if you're starting out in this that you take some time and, you know, learn what's in there at the very least so that you know. Yeah. There's also a, a, a Git repo of example recipes that goes way, way farther than that. Yeah. And even like it includes like specific stuff like here's how, you know, here's how it would work on a blog. Um, here's how some of the uh, like API stuff works. We used mm-hmm. it to uh, test out an entire uh, REST API framework we wrote. You did API testing with it. That's, that's where I was like, it's hey, fun. I can do all kinds of stuff with this yep. framework. Yes, you Look can. Look at this. <laughs> yeah. And most, most people don't get to API testing, but it's actually a damn good tool for it. Um, yeah, most well, it people don't discover it. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, it, you learn things like, well, I don't need to run it like in open mode because obviously I don't need the browser window to see everything yeah. at that point. And that's, you, you learn <laughs> some of those little like quality of life adjustments. But um, from there, once you've installed it, the next thing you just need to do is decide what you're going to, what are you going to test? So we're going to make something up for this case, right? We're going to say, we've got a site and that site, it will just assume it's a WordPress site and WordPress generates navigation dynamically. And so we want to be sure that never breaks. So we want to see a menu and make sure it has, let's say, four items in it. We're going to have like a, an about, a home, a contact, and a shop button, something like mm-hmm. that. And we know our site. We know that never changes. So we're comfortable just saying should have four items in it. To start writing a test, the first thing right you want to look for is that integrations folder. And this is where I, when we were talking earlier about what kind of suite is Cypress, right? That, that folder integration gives you sort of a look into that past life as <laughs> what it was kind of branded as. Yeah. Uh, but that's where all of your tests go, right? Now, can you gr- group things in there? Could you add like yeah. subfolders and, yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, like you want to organize your, tests like your application is structured, right? It should be a very easy way to think about your application. If you have a cart folder, you might have a cart folder uh, inside of your integration uh, suite, right? You might organize things literally the same way your source code is organized. Um, you, you may just order them by <laughs> ticket number. Yeah. We have, we actually number ours from zero to nine and we use uh we use Circle CI to parallelize them. It's actually weird stuff you can do with it. That's a very weird use case, but you can, you can do all sorts of fun stuff. It doesn't matter how you organize it. That, 
do those files have to contain the word spec in them? I see that a lot in the repos or whatever. It'll just, <laughs> no. it'll just pick up whatever. No, I mean, you have to configure it. So um, you have to you have to configure it with some pattern um, or it will take spec as the base pattern. So we have a little config file. It's a JSON file. It sits at the root of your project, which is probably, you know, the root of your, your Git directory. Um, it's called Cypress JSON, and it has a has a field called like test path pattern or something like that. Um, and you and you fill in the little glob string, right? Same thing you would do on a file system to select multiple different files, um, and that thing will find whatever you tell it to find. So cool. yeah. So we go into this integration folder. We're going to make a file called let's just call it navigation.spec.js, just for the sake of argument. And that's going to be the file that goes out and looks at our navigation. Now, I know, and I'm not going to get into the specific code syntax. There's a little bit of stuff you have to throw at the the top of the file, and you have to start with your initial describe um, of everything. I'm trying to look, I'm trying to visualize files in my head. I have one right in front of me. Here we go. (laughs) Uh, Context. You set a context first. Mm. So you say, our context is navigation. And... In this case, we're going to say something like before, which is before mm-hmm. is just a function that Cypress has. There's also before each if you want to do something fresh each time a test runs. We're going to say before any test runs, do a psi, which uh, psi is like the namespace of uh, the script, just like you would use dollar sign for jQuery or another library's name uh, in its object name in its place. Psi.visit. Um, visit is a command, one of those commands we talked about, and we'll pass it localhost. We're going to just test this locally. So we've now told this script to go visit our local dev environment. From there, next, do we, do we want to do a describe next, or do we start with an it next? Or does it matter? You can, it matters. Um, so you can just say it. And my, my actual basic file um, is really just an it block where the title is works and I expect true to be true. <laughs> and that's the first thing I ever write in any spec file. But, um, but in the, in the navigation example, right, we have four links. We want to make sure it's four links. So we're going to describe navigation at the top level. We're going to go inside the describe function, make a little it block. That's what we call them, it blocks. Um, and we're going to give it a, a string that's like it should render four things. Right. And inside the it function, you're going to, the body of the it function you're going to write your psi commands, right? So it would be like psi visit local host. And then you would say, get the nav bar, maybe with some selector. Selectors are like, if you've ever used document query selector all or document mm. get by ID, it's actually the same syntax as jQuery. So if, you, if you've used jQuery, or like CSS. same thing. Or what? Similar to CSS. Is it similar to like CSS selectors? Exactly. Yeah, literally. Okay. Yeah. I see an um, example, hash nav space li. Totes, example. yeah, and that's how you would get the if if your nav had an li, right? That's how you would get the four elements inside the inside the nav, right? And so you would get them, and then assert should have length four, and that would be your test. It would be like three lines long, yeah. um, four lines long. But <laughs> then you've tested it, and now anytime yeah. you rerun your theme or whatever it is you're building, anytime that comes back wrong, oh no, why did I not have any nav items? Then you go in and you see, oh, well, there was a, I had a typo in, in uh, nav menu items or something yeah. like that. Very, very, very simple kind of methodology. But, okay, we've set up this super simple test. 
Mm. How do I go about running that then? Is yeah. it something that is some that I should just because I I you know I I happen to know from using it, I can just open it and literally let it run while I'm working, and it's <laughs> constantly rerunning tests anytime I save files. But is it better to do it that way? Should I just run it on demand? Is what what are the yeah. ways that you recommend people? run tests like this i mean it depends on the so it depends on the scope of the test you're doing if you're doing a end-to-end test or integration test with cypress it's really it's i say really slow comparative (laughs) to uh to uh unit testing component testing end-to-end tests are fairly slow you know let's think about the testing pyramid it's at the top right which means that it's the slowest but gives you the most test coverage right and so end-to-end tests you would run them you can run anything locally. You can run anything you locally you want. And generally, when you write a new test, like what we just did, you run it locally. You say, you know, NPX Cypress open, right? Or NPX Cypress run. And I'll talk about the difference of that in a second. Um, and that would invoke your tests. And then you would make sure that you visit local host. Your nav bar has rendered and you have four items in it. Good job. You get the green checks at the end in your terminal, right? Um the fr- immediately after you're going to want to hook it up into CI because it's it's takes a few seconds right so you can keep it up while you're working if you w- if you're going to run a lot of end to end tests depending on the kind of work you're doing um, but mostly and even in Cypress internally we add our specs you know we maybe run some that have changed but then we just run them in CI because for any reasonable test suite you will very quickly get annoyed by waiting thirty seconds or so. <laughs> Let's uh let's kind of end on sort of a grab bag potpourri of Cypress stuff cuz here's the thing, right? This is a huge tool that does a lot of things and a lot of things really well that we haven't even touched on. We didn't talk about fixtures at all. Um fixtures just give you a way to stub out information. Like you need to fill out forms, use a fixture to like have that form data be the same every time or not. It, it can be different. It, it's good to think of them as sort of like data macros. Like mm. it's yeah. You know, you know, this is a chunk. This is a block of like good data. Like this is a happy path, real user trying to do the right thing, fill out the form. And you don't have to think of it every single time. You know that yeah. this data is good. So you're just going to reload the same cassette each time. Yeah. I would I would essentially just literally call it good user in my tests. Mm-hmm. Like I, I literally say good user, bad user, invalid email user um, <laughs> in all my fixtures. And so what we did, we've got a fixture that runs on forms and has an email address in there. And I created a custom command in Cypress that will generate a random string and append it. It will, it splits the email address at the at symbol, shoves that random string in there so that each, because we have a, at the end to end side of this, when this ends up in other systems, if it was the same email every time our Mm. records would get flattened and we don't want that in these tests we want to see new records so Mm -hmm. i use that method of a fixture combined with a custom command to make sure all of this stuff flows nice and seamlessly again just javascript just javascript just register your stuff and you're good to go um yeah it's an insanely powerful framework. Even me, I've I've worked at Cypress for like a year and a half, I guess at this point, mm-hmm. and uh, and I keep finding things. I'm just like, oh my god, they let, we let you do that? Like you can do <laughs> all sorts of crazy shit. We um, it's just JavaScript. It runs in the browser, and you have access to the entire Cypress test runner. You can do 
basically anything from we have what are called plugins and the support file. And one of them is node side. If you're going to play with your server, if you're going to seed your database, for your example, like if you wanted to nuke your staging database between every run and get fresh set of records, you could do that technically. Might have some, you know, it might be a little difficult to pull off, but um, Cypress gives you an open door into both the node side process and a, and a browser side process. And so the world is your JavaScripting oyster. Um, can we talk on plugin for just a second because any good tool supports some kind of plugin framework that's not new or anything but i want to just call out something on this because aaron and i have spent a lot of energy over the last four years talking about accessibility and cypress has the cypress dash axe library tell me more let's play with axe which lets you, yeah, it brings in the Axe engine that you can then invoke on your page, and it will run Axe's accessibility test suite and return mm. any. And again, this is only for the you know the stuff Axe is capable of automating, which is what forty percent, forty five percent of issues. But still, it allows you to with like two commands. It's not even hard. It's it's like you invoke it, and then you what is it in, invoke. Uh, Invoke check, Axe and check then check AA, accessibility. Yeah. Check yeah. Y, yeah. Uh, so you run those two commands and if it comes back good, it comes back good. Yep. That's if you are looking for like a baseline way to get into accessibility and to make sure the stuff you're doing is right. That is such a dirt simple way of doing it. And I'm just like, like I was when I found that tool, it was like, uh, remember when I said earlier, the, the sun rose and the birds went mm. and, and, uh, <laughs> Well, the 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 seas turned to wine for me, and I had fruitful bounties upon my shoreline because <laughs> oh my it it brought the whole thing full circle for me. Sorry, I'm getting weird. I'm two mojitos no, in. No, 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 it's fine. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm half a I'm half a martini, and so I'm like I was gonna say something. We we can't go too far here because the one thing we didn't really get deep into but i want to talk about is the component tester because this is a big deal for you guys so what was it two months ago you guys released 7.0 is that uh, about right april april 7th april 6th i will forever remember that day because it was so much work um yeah it was it was something around there and 7.0 of cypress we released component testing which is a brand new test runner um that's focused on testing the the building blocks of the modern internet, right? We all think in components now instead of pages. Um, so we've kind of migrated away from building giant WordPress jQuery-based apps <laughs> into building, you know, self-contained form components or modal components or inputs, um, these small building blocks. And it's much quicker, efficient, or more quick, efficient, and uh, satisfying, I would say there's there's none of those flake problems actually when you when you start to test the building blocks by themselves the inputs the forms um, when you when you start to test the components themselves a lot of the end to end problems fall away and uh, mm. it's it's I'm really passionate about component testing which is why I work here right <laughs> <laughs> how how does Cypress define a component like are you specifically saying yeah. web component or no. are you using it abstractly as like just yeah. a unit of code. Yeah, a unit of code that renders to the screen, right? Gotcha. You could use it to test a jQuery component if you wanted to. 
Um, technically, we only have three three framework level bindings for Angular, Vue, and React. But literally, the job is render render the thing to the screen, right? Render the form to the screen. In general, like if you were going to use a web component, if you were going to use jQuery, we don't care. Just get it onto the screen and we can test it. Um, you don't even need Cypress's specific... Um, actually, you, you don't need a lot of Cypress-specific stuff to pull off component testing. Um, Cypress brings the automation and test runner for it and the cleanup and making sure that you can actually test your component once it gets on the screen. But... Um, the va- the basic principles are all very uh, all very straightforward. Get it on the page, click on it, and make sure it did what you wanted. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. What uh, of the things we haven't talked about yet? If there was like one sort of golden nugget in Cypress <laughs> that like that you see people maybe consistently discover and get excited about, or you know something yeah. it does that like maybe just isn't like off the shelf obvious. It's once you get into it, it's like, oh my god, this is opening the the book for me. What yeah. uh, what would be that thing you would drive people to say? Go make sure before you discount Cypress, make sure you go look at this thing yeah. because it's going to change your world. Yeah, it's going to be side dot intercept. The most powerful thing Cypress can do is intercept your nev- your network requests and mm. give you the power to control them end to end. Like you can. You can literally define your own express style of responses. So, you know, a server type response, you have the full control of what your web page, what your application is going to get back, right? And so that lets you avoid an entire class of, of, I would say, an entire class of bullshit, right? That you just don't have to deal with. It's... um. Any flake you have with your backend service, if you get annoyed enough with how slow your backend service is and it's still messing up your tests, go ahead and stub it. You don't need to rely mm-hmm. on anything else but Cypress's tests to create your environment. So Intercept. Or if uh, it's not your backend but somebody else's. Yeah. If you've integrated, because when you were talking earlier about like the need to retry tests and all of that, you know, you have some control over that if it's your stuff. But if you yeah. are integrated with the Flickr API or the Google Maps API or yep. something like that, you don't have control over if there is a delay in that response sometimes. Yeah. And it might actually be problematic, right? Like some some production APIs don't really like it if you hit their uh, if you hit their stuff during test mode. Right. It's not <laughs> it's not great. They they kind of uh, count that towards your towards your monthly quota, depending on the service. <laughs> awesome. Well, while you guys go out and download and install your first Cypress uh, package and start writing your test, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This episode of the Drunken UX podcast is brought to you by Aquin and Vitamin T's Designing for Good. Designing for Good is an annual grant award program aimed at empowering designers, developers, and marketers to aid local nonprofit organizations in advancing their digital strategy. Designing for Good is accepting applications for three $10,000 grants to assist organizations in areas of diversity and inclusion, environmental action, and lifelong learning. Applying for a Designing for Good grant is as simple as going to the website, filling out a brief form, and submitting a 90-second video describing your plan for helping an organization. For more information and to submit your grant application, visit drunkenux.com slash designgrants. That's drunkenux.com slash Design grants. 
Jessica, thank you so much for spending your night with us. I know that asking people to log in a little bit later from the East Coast is a little arduous, but hopefully we didn't make it too bad for you. To compensate you completely and thoroughly, take that microphone for a couple minutes, tell people where they can find you, what you got going on, and anything else you want them to know. Yeah, so uh, so you can find me on Twitter mostly. Um, I'll, I'm sure a link will be posted somewhere. Um but yeah, twitter.com slash underscore Jessica Sachs. Um, and I tweet way too much. Um, my DMs are always open because I, I like to help people. Um, and if you want access to the Cyprus, um, I was going to say support team, but our support team isn't actually there. If you want to, if you want to have access to, uh, the Cyprus team, um, to talk about testing, to learn about what we're working on, we have a Discord channel. Um, and that's the best way. The community. Way. The community. Yes, the <laughs> Cyprus Community Discord. Very nice. Um, if you want access to that, you can just go on uh, on.cyprus.io slash discord. So that is on.cyprus.io slash discord. Um, that's the best <coughs> way to talk to any of us. Nice. Yeah. Um, I suppose... Some other things, if I wanted to, if I wanted to get people started on stuff um, or give a shout out, uh, I would say my teammate Lachlan Miller has a really cool YouTube channel where he does everything from, you know, create a test framework from first principles. So not Cypress specific, but all of the concepts we just talked about. He'll go ahead and uh, and work through that you know, step by step and talk about how to build an assertion framework. And he's <laughs> he's really great. Um, I cannot recommend Lachlan stuff enough. Again, I'll put a link wherever you can find it. Um, well, we'll yeah, yeah, you send it to put us. We'll throw notes. it in the show notes, and yeah. folks will be able to find it no problem. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that's where you can find me. And um, yeah, Lachlan's stuff is my number one recommendation for anybody looking to uh, to learn more. He's doing really good stuff. I will plus one you on the Discord channel. Um, <laughs> I joined it a while back. I have found that even though I haven't like been talking in it. Just like seeing the stuff people are doing and, and talking about, that in and of itself is really helpful from an educational standpoint. Like I've really enjoyed just sitting there and just kind of observing, just, <laughs> just watching, just sitting back in the bushes with yeah. my binoculars. It's kind of funny to imagine you sitting somewhere quietly and listening, Michael. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> I am an introverted extrovert, okay? That's a thing. That's a I thing that, that I made up. No, it's it's real. It's real. Folks, yeah. If you are enjoying everything you're hearing and you want to be an introverted extrovert, be sure to find us over on Twitter or Facebook at slash drunken UX or Instagram.com slash drunken UX podcast. If you want to chat with us on Discord, uh, we have conversations going on about all the things occasionally when somebody asks. Uh, you can find us at drunkenux.com slash Discord. I, as we're talking here, I'm sitting here watching my ring pop up in my browser and saying, hey, you. You've got motion in, in your backyard because my dog keeps going in and out and in and out and in and out. <laughs> and I have not uh, told it yet to ignore uh, things of that tiny size. Uh, I can't write a test for that, but I can write tests for lots of things. And I, I I, was really excited to do this episode because I got really excited about Cypress a couple years ago when we started using it. I'm thrilled that I've been learning it more and more. I cannot recommend enough that folks go spend a little time with it and what I'm going to commit to is it I mean it I shouldn't say commit it's already done it's just not very far along with the redesign we're doing of the drunken UX site I have Cypress installed in that repo that repo is public if you want to see any of the tests that we write for our theme development 
you are welcome to go in there and take a look at that. If you want to try writing a test, you're welcome to use that as an opportunity. Write a test against our site. I'm making that an open invitation. Um, I'm not asking for help. I'm just saying if you want to write a test and see how it works against a site, I am I will allow you to test my site. Um, so please take time to do that because the, the one thing that's really cool about testing is that when you do it enough and when you really commit to it, it, the time that it saves you, it really allows you to keep your personas close, but your Shit. users closer. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>